Give a warm welcome to our service tonight as we come to worship and to praise our God. A welcome if you're joining us online as well. And Basil, a special welcome to you as you bring God's word to us. May you be blessed as we pray will be too. Just one notice before we start is that we have refreshments tonight. For any who want to stay, we have refreshments outside. Let's join the psalmist as he says in Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Well, let's commit our time to God in prayer. Father God, we ask that you would be with us. We pray your Holy Spirit would be amongst us as we come and worship you and praise you and hear your word spoken from. We pray that any distracting thoughts will be kept from us so that you have our full focus and full attention. And we ask for your help this in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's very much the spirit of our first hymn as we sing, which is come no fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Let's stand and sing and afterwards Steve will bring our reading to us.
Our reading in this evening is taken from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 21. That's Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate of the bread, ate the bread of the presence, which is not which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. and Many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Amen. Thank you very much, um, Stephen. We're going to uh, stand and sing our, our next hymn. I don't know if you, when you are struggling, when you are doubting, who do you look to? Are you looking to yourself or are you looking to God? Are you looking to Jesus? Well, this hymn tells us, when we look to Jesus, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Let's praise Jesus as we stand and sing.
Well, let's turn to our God, to our Saviour in prayer. Father God, we thank you for that love that exists between you and your Son and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that oneness. We thank you for the obedience of your Son, the Lord Jesus, to do the will that you wanted him to do. And we thank you for the way that he was willing to to come to this earth, to leave the perfection of heaven above, to leave your presence and your company and come and live on this earth where men hated him, despite the good that he did, despite the care he showed for those round about him, despite his love for his creation, well, he was slandered, he was beaten, and he was hung on a cross to die. Yet we thank you it was not because of the will of man, because, Lord, if there would be no hope if man was in control. But thank you that it was your plan, so that sinners like us, who do not deserve to be forgiven, who do not deserve to have peace with you in heaven, could be forgiven. And because of that love, because of that willingness to die on the cross, so that any who calls on your name, who asks for their sins to be forgiven, you will hold fast. Despite all the difficulties of life, you will hold them fast. Lord, we pray that we would continue to look to you all the time. May we not look at ourselves, may we not find strength from ourselves, but may we look to you. We pray that as we read your word, Lord, that it would be alive to us. That it would be the way you show us about yourself. And we pray that you would teach us about yourself. And we pray that as we learn, we would know how to live our lives by the way you teach us. And we pray that we'd live our lives according to your will. Father God, if there are any here who who do not know you as their saviour, if there are any here who do not know that love, We pray that this very evening, this very night, you would show them yourself. And we pray that as Basil brings your word, as he preaches that souls would be saved, that people would come into the kingdom of God. Lord God, as we heard this morning, Lord, we were challenged about our own souls. The souls of our partners and the souls of our children. And Lord, each of us, have those we love on our hearts, that we would love you to work in their lives. We bring them to you in prayer often. We ask, Lord God, that you would show yourself to them and they would turn their backs on sin. May the Holy Spirit be convicting them of sin and pointing them to you. Lord, we ask that this very night there would be joy in heaven as souls are saved and glory brought to your name. Lord God, we acknowledge that the world we live in is a tough world to live in. Lord, there are dangers all over the place, but Lord God, we pray that you would be with those who are struggling. Lord, there are places in the world that are struggling more than we do here. Lord, we thank you for the relative peace that we have. We thank you that we can meet here tonight without the fear of the police coming through the doors or our names being taken down. Or us being marked men and women and boys and girls. But we commit to you those places where it is tough to be a Christian. We think of Myanmar, which we were told about this morning. We pray for, for them there. And we pray especially for the situation in Afghanistan. Lord, as the West and the military leave, we dread to think what the Taliban would do. But we pray your, restrain, your restraining hand would be upon them. We especially pray for Christians in Afghanistan. And we ask that they would look to you for their strength, for their support, for their comfort. Lord, the Bible is very clear that as Christians we will suffer. But Lord God, we pray that you would really be with them. And Lord, if it is your will, Lord, to prevent that suffering. Lord God, we commit to you Cyprus at the moment. We pray for James and Rachel. Here in the UK, we pray that you would bless them while they were here. We pray that you would give them rest 
physically, mentally and spiritually. And Lord, we ask you, you would be with those that they have left behind. Help them as they, they run the services. Help them as they keep in touch with your people there. Those who go to Lefkosia Baptist Church. Lord, we pray that you would be preparing a people there to call yours. That they would see much fruit from their labours there. But we pray you'd be with them as they, they go on holiday. As James and Rachel go on holiday this week. Lord, we pray for others on holiday. We pray that they would have a restful time. We pray especially for John and Esther as their holiday is coming to an end. Lord, we pray that you bring them back safely and bless them through their holiday. And Lord, as the summer holidays come to an end, we think of going back to school, we especially think of the teachers. We ask you to be with them as they will certainly be unsure of how this term is going to pan out with COVID. We ask you to help them in any decisions they have to make. Lord, we pray that your hand would be on COVID and it would not be like we've had before. But Lord God, be with the teachers and give them wisdom and strength. And as we come to your word again, we commit Basil to you. We ask you to be with him and give him clear mind, clear thoughts. But we pray for your word that we would feel its power. Whether that's for the first time, whether that's as an encouragement, whether that's as a rebuke. We pray that your word would change us and we'd go out into this week worshipping you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our, our third hymn we're going to stand and sing is, again, looking to Jesus as things get tough, that he will give us the grace that we need. And we must remember that the amount of grace he has to give is unlimited. It never runs out like we do with what we have to give. But with Jesus and with God, he's unlimited. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labours increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiply peace. Let's stand and sing.
It has been a very great joy and privilege to be with you today and to enjoy fellowship with you in these beautiful surroundings. Thank you for your welcome. It's a great pleasure to be here. We're going to look together at the passage we read from Matthew 12, in particular Matthew 12, verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. One of the most delightful spots in my native county of Norfolk is the River Bure near Roxham in the heart of the Norfolk Broads. It's an idyllic place, ducks and swans and moorhens and kingfishers, sailing boats gliding by, a windmill or two on the horizon, the thatched inn by the side of the river, and the old chain ferry with which you can pull yourself across the river. It's a scene which is often pictured in magazines and on postcards. So beautiful, so tranquil, so peaceful. But for me, it's also a very moving place. It reminds me of my past when I was a teenager. The gang I was in used to park our cars or motorbikes on the other side of the river and uh, pile into the ferry boat, uh, terrify the holiday makers on the broads, uh, drink too much in the pub across the river, then get back in the ferry boat, get in our cars or on our motorbikes and drive like lunatics back home. All of that and much more comes to mind when I'm in that beautiful spot by the River Bure. And then I think, isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it astounding that such a wretch is now a Christian and now a preacher of the gospel? How wonderful the Savior is. Fancy saving a fellow like me. I deserve to be condemned forever, but Christ save me. There by the riverside, with all the reeds and bulrushes, some of which have been battered and bent by the strong winds across the marshes, a verse of scripture often comes to mind. A verse which tells us how gracious and wonderful our Savior is. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking wick, a smoldering wick, he will not quench. That statement there in Matthew 12, verse 20, quoted from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 3. Matthew quotes it to show how gracious and tender the Lord Jesus Christ is. He just seen Jesus helping a poor man in the synagogue who had a withered paralyzed hand. How compassionate Jesus was in his dealings with such people. So different from the Pharisees who were cruel and callous and rigid and legalistic. Then Matthew tells us how Jesus just after that just after he'd healed many people urged the people not to say too much about it. Not to tell all and sundry of the miracles he had done. Jesus was very humble. He didn't want people to make a big fuss about his healing miracles. When Matthew saw the kind way in which our Lord had dealt with this man with the withered hand, when Matthew saw how humble Jesus was, this passage in the Old Testament came to mind. A bruised reed he will not break, and smouldering wick he will not quench. Matthew says, in effect, Isaiah predicted and prophesied that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be humble and lowly, tender and compassionate towards needy people. And that's how he is. I've just seen him deal so tenderly with the man in the synagogue when the Pharisees were being so harsh and merciless. I've just seen how humble he is. It's totally different from the Pharisees 
and these legalistic religious people. Now there are poor men and women like bruised and battered reeds by the riverside after a storm. But he will not break them. There are poor souls whose lives are like the smouldering wick of a lamp whose oil is running out. But he'll not snuff them out. He is tender and compassionate and gracious. That seems to me there are three kinds of people, generally speaking, for whom this statement is very applicable. Three classes of people who may well be described as bruised reeds or smouldering wicks. Three kinds of people who may well be here this evening. Three kinds of people I trust will find help from this message. The first group of people is this. There are some men and women who are burdened with a sense of sin and guilt and shame and failure. They've fallen into some sin or they've lived very rebellious lives against God and they've come to see it. And their consciences trouble them and distress them. They're like bruised and battered reeds by the riverside, heads hanging down with a sense of sin and shame. Now let's be clear, there are not too many people like that. There are not nearly enough people like that. The vast majority of men and women hold their heads high and proudly assert that they have no sin and they have no need of a saviour. They're like the Pharisees in this passage. They're rather self-righteous and think they're okay and they're very proud. If they believe in a God at all, they believe that God is well pleased with them because of the decent lives they're living. They will not face up to the fact that they've sinned against Almighty God. They look down their noses at other people who've fallen into sin, but they themselves, they think, are quite okay. Well, this text has nothing to say to people like that. People holding their heads high and boasting how good they are. This text has nothing to say to them. My friend, if you've never seen your sin, if you've never seen how you've turned against Almighty God, if you've never been bothered about the way you ignore God, then this verse of Scripture is not to, me, uh, not to you. You need to be bruised a bit. You need to be humbled a bit to see your great need of God. But if you come here this evening aware of your weakness and failure and past sin, this is just the verse of you for you. He will not break you. He will not crush you. He'll deal gracefully and mercifully with you. If you turn to him, he'll not condemn you. On the contrary, he will be ready and willing to help you and to save you and to straighten out your life and to lead you and guide you in the future. You may have spent long years ignoring God. You may have spent long years living for yourself, living for sin. But if you're holding your head in shame and confessing your sin, then the Lord will be gracious to you. He won't break you. He'll do all he can to help you and save you. If you're generally sorry for those sins of the past, and if you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in all your need, and ask him to have mercy upon you, he will do so. And he'll be pleased to do so. He'll not trample you into the dust. He has every right to do that. He's the Son of God. He's the Lord God Almighty. He shared with God the Father in creating this universe. He made you. And you've ignored him. Spurned him so far. Sinned against him. But if you're truly sorry for your sin and acknowledge it, he won't break you. He'll deal with you gracefully and kindly.
You see, he's just and holy. This verse says, uh, he is my beloved. This passage says, he's my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So he's full of justice. And you deserve to be punished by him. But if you acknowledge your sin and your needs and humble yourself, he'll be willing to forgive you. He won't break you. He will restore you. Now there are so many examples of this in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Take that poor woman mentioned in John's Gospel, chapter 8. That woman caught in the act of adultery. The Pharisees and scribes were all for stoning her. They were all condemning her. You'll notice, by the way, they didn't have a word to say about the man who committed adultery with her, all right? They were willing to turn a blind eye to that. But this poor woman, she's fallen into sin. They were all for condemning her and stoning her and getting rid of her. Many self-righteous people today will take the same line. Sinners, dreadful people. These people who get drunk, dreadful people. These people who go to the pub, dreadful people. These people who swear and curse, dreadful people. Trample them in the dust. Have no pity for them. Don't try and help them. Don't take the gospel to them. They're hopeless. But the Lord didn't treat that woman like that. You remember what he said? Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. You want to stone a woman like that? Or choose the person who's never sinned. Let him cast the first stone. And our Lord said to her, you go, sin no more. Your sin is forgiven you. Our Lord is gracious, you see, to those who've fallen into sin and who realize it and are sorry for it. He's still the same today. My friend, if you've seen your sin and are really sorry for your sin, want to do something about it, he's willing to have mercy upon you. He won't break you. He won't trample you into the dust. He's just like his father. He is the son of God. He is just like the father. He has the same love, the same compassion, the same mercy as God the father. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son had grabbed all the money he could from his poor father. And he cleared off to a distant country. There in the distant country, he squandered all that money in riotous, sinful living. And he came to the end himself and was penniless and destitute and took on a job no respecting Jew would ever take on, that of feeding pigs. And he was so hungry that he was willing to eat the pig's food. So desperate. Then he said to him, whatever shall I do, whatever shall I do, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, look, I've sinned against you dreadfully. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But please let me be just one of your hired servants. Anything to earn some money and buy some food. I'm desperate. He made his way back home, trembling as to how his father would receive him. But his father was looking out for him. When he saw him coming in the distance, he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him and said, kill the fatted calf, let's have a party. My son, who was dead spiritually, is alive. He's come back home. And the Lord Jesus Christ is just like God the Father, merciful to poor sinners, who see their sin and turn to him. The bruised reed he will not break. He will not trample them into the dust. He'll be merciful to them. 
So if you're bruised and battered by sin, my friend, if you come here this evening realizing that you've sinned against Almighty God, there's hope for you. Come now to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you and deal with you graciously. Come to the Savior now. He gently calleth thee. In true repentance bow. Before him bend the knee. No vain excuses frame. For feelings do not stay. None who to Jesus came. Were ever turned away. It's a wonderful statement that. None who to Jesus came begging for mercy, were ever turned away. But come to him now. Come to him now. You see, the last clause of this verse is very important. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until, until, he brings justice to victory. He tells us that one day, he will judge this world with absolute justice. One day he'll come again to this world. He will come as judge and with justice. And on that day, justice will be victorious. It will deal with men and women as they justly deserve. And when that happens, the day of grace will be over. When that day dawns, Anyone who's not called to the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy will be de- dealt with with absolute justice and be condemned. That day is coming. We're in the day of grace just now. And it's possible to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven. But that day will one day end. And the day of justice will come when everyone will have to stand before him and be judged. So come to the Lord Jesus Christ now while the day of grace is still on and beg with him to forgive you. Of course, the only reason why he's able uh, to receive such sinners, the only reason why he's able to forgive sinners is because he came into this world and died upon the cross. And when he died upon the cross, it wasn't just an accident. It was all part of the plan of God. And when he died upon the cross, he actually bore the punishment due to sinners like us for our sin and wrongdoing. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. That's the only reason why he can deal so mercifully with sinners. He will not break them. He will not trample them into the mire. If they confess their sin, he'll graciously forgive them and restore them and welcome them into God's family. That's one class of people who can be described as bruised reeds. Those who have been convicted of their sin realize they've displeased God and don't deserve anything and have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you of a second group of people who could be described as bruised reeds. Not only who feel themselves and know themselves to be guilty sinners, but Christians who are facing trials and tribulations. We all know Christians like that, don't we? Facing great trials. What a hard time they're having. Trials and sorrows are coming thick and fast. They're like bruised reeds after a violent storm. Dejected and downcast and weary and worn and hard-pressed and heavy-laden. Many people have been like that during this pandemic. 
bruised reeds. Trials that come thick and fast. Loved ones have been taken ill. Loved ones have died. Loved ones have died in hospital without a visitor being allowed to go and see them. And these poor souls who've been through such experiences are dejected and crushed and feel they can't bear much more. Almost at breaking point. Maybe there's someone here this evening like that. Things have been very difficult for you just recently. Trials and calamities one up after another, one after another. And you feel you can't endure much more. You're almost broken. My dear friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you trust in him, he will not break you. He'll be kind to you. He'll restore you. He will not allow more trials to come to you, more than you can bear. He'll not allow you to be broken by them. He loves you. You're one of his people. He sees exactly what you're going through. And he won't allow you to be broken by these trials and tribulations. Maybe he's allowed them to come to you for a good purpose. Maybe he's allowed them to come to you to help you to be more sympathetic towards others. Maybe he's allowed them to come to you to teach you to trust him more. Maybe he's allowed them to come to you to help you to sympathize better with other people. But he won't allow you to be broken. There's a similar statement in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 10. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted and tried beyond what you're able to bear, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He will not allow you to be tried and tempted and troubled more than you could bear. He won't break you. The bruised reed, he will not break. On the contrary, if you trust him, he'll uphold you and support you and strengthen you. When I fear my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. It's amusing, that's just been described as a new song these days, a new song. I sang that years and years ago when it was published in Hymns of Faith. But there we are. Uh, That's by the way. Um, When I fear my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. My dear friend, if you feel yourself at breaking point just now because of all your troubles, don't give up. Don't despair. He won't crush you. In fact, he's using these trials to prepare you for the great day of victory which is coming. Remember that famous illustration by Billy Graham. Uh, Some masonry work was being done on a church steeple. But the stonemason was uh, sitting there in the church car park, chipping away at this piece of stone. And someone asked him, what are you doing with that piece of stone, chipping away down here? And he pointed to the stone and said, I'm shaping this down here to fit in up there. I'm shaping this piece of stone down here on the ground to fit in up there on the church steeple. That's what the Lord is doing with us in this world when trials come. He's chipping away at us down here to enable us to fit better in heaven when we get there. The bruised reed, he will not break. So this applies to sinners who've seen their sin and are crushed by the thought of their sins and hanging their heads in shame. This verse applies to them. This verse applies to Christians who face trial after trial after trial and feel almost crushed. It applies to them. Let me mention a third kind of people who are included in this text and should get comfort from it. Convicted and contrite sinners, yes. Tried and troubled saints, yes. But also dismal and declining backsliders. 
Matthew, quoting Isaiah, says, the smoldering wick he will not quench. The picture is of an eastern lamp with a piece of flax for a wick, an oil lamp which has almost gone out. At one time the wick was burning brightly and the lamp was giving out a marvellous light to everyone in the house. But now the wick is just smouldering. The oil has just about gone out, run out, and so the wick of the lamp has been burning up instead. And now it's just a smouldering mess, almost about to fizzle out. What a perfect picture that is of the backslider. Here's a man or a woman. Once upon a time they were on fire for the Lord. Once upon a time they gave a brilliant light. Everyone around them could see that they were fine Christians. But something's gone wrong. The fire's almost gone out. The light has almost failed. They're like a smoldering wick. Look as they're about to be extinguished. Well, the Lord will not quench people like that. He, in his mercy, will restore them. That's a wonderful promise. Very often the backslider, when he or she comes to their senses, feels quite fearful. They fear there's no hope of ever getting right with Christ again. They fear there's no hope ever burning brightly again. They fear that the Lord will let them go and write them off and snuff them out and that will be the end of them. That takes me back to Norfolk when I was at school. Uh, My family was very poor so in the school holidays I used to get a job on a farm uh, doing manual work to try and earn some money to help the family budget. And uh, I used to stay with the farmer and his wife and there was no electric light in the house. They were dependent upon oil lamps in the various rooms. And they had this oil lamp in the kitchen which night after night smoldered and smoked and even the ceiling was getting black. And the farmer's wife eventually said, I'm sick and tired of the smouldering lamp. I'm sick and tired of the smoke coming out. I'll get rid of it. I'll check it away. And that's what she did. She threw it away and went to market and bought another oil lamp. She didn't have the patience to trim the wick and to fill it up with oil again. She just got rid of it. And many Christians who have backslidden fallen into bad ways, when they come to their senses, think that the Lord will finish with them, have done with them. But no, the smoldering wick, he will not quench. He'll restore your light. He'll restore the flame. If you turn to him and repent and seek his forgiveness and seek his pardoning. The smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Think of Peter. Think how badly he failed the Lord. How terribly he backslid. He denied his Lord three times with cursing and swearing. What a smouldering wick he became. The man who shone so brightly The man who at Caesarea Philippi had said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now denying the Lord, he professed love. How low can you get? And Peter goes out into the dark night and weeps bitterly. I've blown it, he says. No hope for me now. But the Lord meets with him by the Sea of Tiberias 
says to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you really love me? And it restores Peter. And Peter, the smoldering wick, almost gone out, becomes the great preacher on the day of Pentecost, who preaches a sermon, and thousands of souls are saved on the day of Pentecost. The smoldering wick he will not quench. And if you're in that position, my friend, if you've backslidden, if your light has almost gone out, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, ask him to help you, ask him to forgive you, and he really will. I think of a young man. I took his wedding way back in 1965. Sometime later, he left his wife, turned his back on the church, became a great sinner, went to work for a sex shop in Soho. Remember I was preaching in London one weekend and I don't normally go to such places, steer clear of them. But I went to the shop to speak to him. I didn't know where he lived otherwise. Talked to him about his failure. He told me to get lost, to get out of the shop. Didn't want to see me again. That was in about 1969. 1969. In the year 2000, what's that, 31 years later? In the year 2000, I was preaching in a certain city and this man came up to me after the meeting said, don't you recognize me? And I said, I'm sorry about that. I don't recognize you, sorry. And he told me who he was. This young fellow, now an older man, told me how the Lord had dealt with him very severely, how the Lord had humbled him, how the Lord had brought him low, destitute almost, but then restored him. And now he was back in a church serving the Lord, and the light was beginning to glow again. The flame was burning brightly again. The smoldering wick, you see, he will not quench. My friend, if you backslidden, if the light has almost gone out, if you're ashamed of that, take heart from this. The Lord won't snuff you out. He's willing to restore you and to restore you this evening. Can I ask you, can I ask you, my friend, what is your attitude to this glorious Saviour? If you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, I would urge you to turn to him today. How can you spurn such a person? How can you ignore such a person? Turn to him. Ask him to forgive you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what sins you've committed. If you're truly sorry about your sin and the way you treat the Almighty God and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, the bruised reed he will not break. If you're hanging your head with shame, he won't crush you. He's willing to receive you and forgive you and save you and make you a new person. And Christian friends, what about us? When we deal with people who are broken, whose lives are in a mess, are we like our saviour? Are we kind? Are we gentle? Are we willing to give them all the help we can? What do you like? Some people are so hard-hearted, you see. Some people are so self-righteous. And when they come face to face with someone who's made a mess of their lives, 
are in a bad way. They're very judgmental. I remember just a short time after I was wonderfully converted. I was a new but young and fragile believer, a stumbling believer. I was accosted one day by a woman who lived on the road near our house. She was a churchgoer. She was very self-righteous. Very self-righteous. She accosted me in the street. And she said, <laughs> Basil Howlett, you've become a Christian, have you? You're going to be a preacher, are you? Ah, I know some of the things you've done. And she almost spat it out. And that almost crushed me. A new struggling believer who'd been down in the depths. This woman who professed to be a Christian nearly crushed me by such an unloving, ungracious, unsympathetic remark. Another man was so different, an old man who himself had been a great sinner, been wonderfully saved, been through hard times. His house, where his wife and he lived, had been bombed during the war and left to ruins. His son had died in a submarine disaster during the Second World War. He'd been through terrible times, been a dreadful sinner, but the Lord wonderfully saved him. And he came to me when I became a Christian and said, I know how hard it will be for you. And some people will never think you've become a Christian. But I'll give you all the help I can. That's just like our Saviour. So gentle. So kind. Hates sin. But merciful to the sinner. Thank God for this wonderful text. So I close with some words of a hymn we're going to sing in a moment. Have you heard the voice of Jesus? Softly pleading with your heart. Have you felt his presence glorious as he calls your soul apart? With a love so true and loyal. Love divine that ever flows from a saviour, righteous, royal, and a cross that mercy shows. Have you heard the voice of mercy granting peace and pardon pure? Have you felt the balm of Calvary binding all your wounds secure? Was there ever such salvation? Was there ever love like this? See the Saviour's grief and passion, grace and mercy's gentle kiss. Well, let's sing that hymn, shall we? Have you heard the voice of Jesus softly pleading with your heart?
Father, we thank you for your great love to poor sinful men and women like us. Thank you for sending your Son to be our Saviour. Thank you for allowing him to die upon the cross to bear the punishment due to sinners like us. Those of us who are Christians, we'd like to thank you for all that the Saviour has done for us. Thank you that he's pardoned all our sin. That he's released us from sin's bondage. That he's given us hope and a purpose in life that he's allowed to serve you in this world. Help us, O God, to show compassion to those all around us who are in great need. Father, we pray that those who are rebels against you will see their sin and humble themselves under your mighty hand and turn to you for mercy. We know that all who turn to you for mercy will never be turned away. Now may the grace of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, the love of God our Heavenly Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all, and with God's people throughout the world, this night and forever. Amen.